Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about the bold faith truth about church. And this morning, we're talking about how God wants our faith, our church love to go wider, and especially the love of Christ to grow wider in our world. And I want to talk about how that happens. How does, how does it happen that a church can absorb and then pass on the, uh, the love of Christ to a wider and wider audience? And I want to begin this way. Really what our text is going to tell us this morning is that God wants this church to be a world-class church. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a a world-class church? Are we a world-class church sitting here today? If you looked at our reach and and saw that mainly, I would say, 95% of our ministry is taking place right here in this community, you might say, no, there's no way we could lay claim to being a world-class church. But then is that God's definition? of a world-class church. And I got to think about that question. What, what really is God's definition for that phrase, world-class church? And I came across a story that I think really nailed it for me. It was a story that was told uh, by a man named Max Dupree. He's kind of a leadership guru. He's written a number of books. Uh, he used to be the CEO and the chairman of Herman Miller, a furniture company that's based back in the Midwest. He told a personal story, a really touching personal story about his granddaughter. Apparently when his granddaughter was born, her name is Zoe, which ironically is the Greek word for life. Little Zoe was born prematurely by a long shot. She was born only one pound, two ounces. When the first doctors came into the room after her birth, they, they said, to the family, Zoe has about a 5% chance of surviving past the first three days. And so, of course, the family was really struck and taken back by this little, this little baby that had been given to them. And they, 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 as we all do with our babies, immediately fell in love with her, but they just weren't sure what to do. But the amazing thing was they had a nurse that was outstanding. And um, one of the additional tragic things that had happened in, uh, in Max Dupree's daughter's life was about a month before Zoe was born, the biological father had packed up and left and said, I, I don't want to be part of this anymore. And so the nurse looked at Max, the, the grandpa, and he said, you can do something life-changing for this little girl. I want you to come in here every day as often as you can. I mean, multiple times a day if you can. And I want you to just speak to her. Tell her how much you love her. And while you're speaking to her, and she said, this is the important part, I I want you to just take the tip of your finger. Because Max said she was so small that his wedding ring would go up her entire arm all the way up to her shoulder. That's how small she was. He says, while you're speaking to her... I want you to just, you know, touch her arm, touch her leg, just touch her with the tip of your finger so that she connects your voice with your touch. And Max did that. He came in and 
And every day, multiple times a day, he came in and he, he just spoke to Zoe and told her how much that, that he loves her. And, and he just kind of gently stroked her arm or her, or her leg or the top of her head a little bit as he was saying those words. And at the end of that, Zoe survived way beyond the 5% chance. And uh, today he has a beautiful, growing, thriving granddaughter. But he said, I learned a, an amazing lesson out of that experience. And here's the lesson. And I think this is the lesson for any person or organization or church that wants to be world-class, that wants to make a transforming difference in other people's lives. And that is, connect your voice to your touch. Connect what you say to what you do. That, I believe, is God's definition of world class. When a church, when a group of people says something, and and you do have to say something because God says something. So the saying something is critical and important. Now, how much more transformative and world-class is it when it's not just what we say that we're connecting to what we do, but if we take what God says, words filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and connect what we do with the Holy Spirit's words. If it's powerful to connect what we do with our own words, how much more powerful to connect what we do with God's words. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As I read to you the last words of the book of Isaiah, these are the final words. I want you to know that Isaiah had spent 66 chapters of prophecy basically talking to a people who had failed to be world-class, who had failed to connect their voice with their touch, their words with their actions. They said they believed in God, but then they practiced idolatry. They said they trusted God for everything, but when tough times came, when they were attacked, they would run off and try other schemes and strategies of their own to save themselves instead of just going to God. They said that as God had loved them, they would love others, but running rampant throughout their society was all kind of injustice, lack of love, lack of truth, and they let it go and did nothing to try to change what was going on in their own families and in their own culture and society around them. So Isaiah comes to them and says, this has got to change. we got to reconnect our words with our touch. And that's really what this message is about. If we want to have a wider influence on our world, we have to hear Isaiah's words. And he, he's actually here prophesying that there's going to come a time when God's people will be world-class. You'll see that when I read it in just a moment. Because their voice and their touch, their words and their actions will be connected. They will be people of integrity. We will be people of integrity. Let's take a look at what Isaiah says. Isaiah 66, beginning at verse 18. And I, because of their actions and their imaginations, by the way, this is not a compliment. This is Isaiah saying their actions have not been actions of integrity. 
Their thoughts and imaginations have not been my thoughts. Because of that, I'm about to come and gather all nations and tongues, and they will come and see my glory. In other words, I'm coming, and there's going to be judgment. You ever heard the phrase, don't make me come down there? That's God saying, I'm coming, all right? And then he says this, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive my judgment to the nations. They're going to be world class. To Tarshish, to the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory, they will pro- proclaim my glory among the nations. And they will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. On horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord, they will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says the Lord. As the new heavens and the new earth that I made will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me. Do you see? World class. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Boy, sometimes God knows how to finish off, doesn't he? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he finishes that whole Sermon on the Mount with the parable of the wise and the, the foolish builder. And he talks, the very last thing he talks about is the foolish builder's house. And he says, and it fell with a great crash. Last words. Last words here. God's people, as they're going out and spreading the word, are going to bring people back. But let's keep this in mind, God says, those who don't come with them are lost for eternity. And so this mission to be world-class, in other words, to get out to all the nations and bring people back to God, this is an urgent, critically important mission for us to be on because you see clearly what's going to happen to those who are not gathered to God. So this morning I want to talk about what it says in this passage as far as what can, what are the steps that we can take to be a church that will get the message of the gospel, gospel, the message of Jesus Christ out into our world. And I find it really interesting. I want you to take a pen and go down to verse 19, the third line down. I find it so interesting in this text that he says, I will set a sign among them and I will send some of those who survive. Will you underline or will you circle that word? Because that's an important word. Who's going to get sent out into this world? Survivors. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever survived anything? I know I've survived a couple of things. In my late 30s, I went through a, a real deep clinical depression. And by the grace of God, I 
didn't just get stopped and mired in the middle of it. I went through it, and when I came out the other side as a survivor, I can tell you my, my whole mind and my whole heart was changed toward people who experience deep depressions. I became a lot more compassionate person toward people who are going through that. What have you survived? Have you ever found that once you've survived something, you just relate to other people who are going through that mess better? I, I think many of us feel that way. And it's interesting to me that, that God says, I'm going to send survivors out into the world. Here's what I want you to, uh, to write down. God loves to use survivors. One of, the, one of the biggest surviving names, survivor names of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. He says, man, I was a sinner. I used to persecute the church. I rejected everything that Christ had to say, but by the grace of God, I survived that experience. And now what do I do? I go after other people who still think what I used to think who act the way that I used to act. Because I survive now, I'm passionate about reaching others who are currently going through what I used to go through. Take a look at what it says in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, Paul writes. But... For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Notice what he says. I'm an example. I'm an example of God's unlimited patience. Even though I used to be the worst of sinners, I used to persecute the church, I rebelled against Jesus Christ, God still loved me. God still forgave me. God still called me and brought me into his family. And now I'm an example of grace. Because I survived by the grace of God, I can now go out and help others to survive in the same way. Write this down in the next blank. We are survivors, all of us. Because all of us, for one thing, could say alongside of the Apostle Paul, I'm a sinner. I've done some really horrible things in the sight of God. I've broken his laws and his commands. I have not obeyed him. I don't have the will to follow him I struggle against him. I fear him. Whatever way that you might personally phrase that, we are all sinners. But we're sitting here today because we have survived. And in this very same way that, that Paul survived, by the grace of God, his unlimited patience and his undeserved love. Now, alongside of that, Many of us, probably most, if not all of us, have survived other big things in our life as well, haven't we? Maybe you survived a serious illness. I had a, a, a gal in my office this past week who survived a serious bout with cancer. 
And I'm going to share something authentic with you on this. Part of the reason that she was in the office with me was to share her bout with cancer and her survival and the miraculous, really miraculous story of how God took her through that. But part of the reason that she was in my office was to share with me that I, her pastor, had not connected my touch with my words. That while she was going through that, that she had not received a a call or a hospital visit from me. And you know what? How do you think she felt about that? I, I can tell you how she felt. She felt hurt. And this goes right back to our original point, right? That if we really want to have an impact on people, that we have to connect our touch with our voice, our actions with our words. That wasn't happening in that case. And yet, even though her pastor failed her, Jesus Christ did not. In his unlimited patience and his amazing, miraculous grace, he took her through that experience, and she is a survivor. Amazing. And that's why I want you today to think about things that you have survived. Maybe even times when people you thought would be there for you, and they weren't. Yet, God was. Jesus Christ was right there, present with you, leading you through that, making sure you knew his presence through every part of that, and you survived. Take a look at this. Notice what God's promise is. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. There will be deliverance because our God does deliver. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. But now I want you to take it one step further. Turn your crosswalk notes over and write this. You, all of us, we were all rescued for a reason. There is no better person to connect words with actions, to connect voice with touch than someone who has survived because you know what it feels like to be in that situation. So whatever you've survived, and we've all survived our sins by the grace of God, but beyond that, whatever else you've survived, you survived for a reason. And I want to talk about what those reasons are and how we can take steps to make sure we are world-class. Take a look at one of the first reasons you survived. Matthew 28, 18, and 20. This passage is called the Great Commission, by the way. It's the, the central mission of the church. Would you read it with me? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. World class, what does Jesus say here? Go and make disciples of whom? 
all nations. Does God want us to be a world-class church? Yes, he does. The very mission that he lays out is to go to all nations with our touch connected to our voice, with our actions connected to our words, and get out there and share the gospel and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, don't stop there. Because little sprouting seedlings are not enough for me. Complete the mission, he says. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, teach them to do what I have said, to connect their actions to my words. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and then a promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And do you know that what he's saying there is no different than what Isaiah is saying in verse 19? Flip it back over. He says, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations. See, there it is again, to the nations. To Tarshish, to the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers to Tubal and Greece and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory, they will proclaim my glory among the nations. They're going to speak and they're going to talk. And some of these people are going to be famous, he says. And some of them are going to be little known almost ignored and overlooked, but that doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is that you be world-class. Get out to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ and share this message. Why? Uh, I think it's clear, isn't it? God wants more people to be his. He's not satisfied with the existing people that are his. He wants more. He wants more people in heaven with him one day to enjoy his eternal presence and his blessings forevermore. He wants people to walk with him now so that they can have faith and courage. He wants people to know about the forgiveness of sins that he's won for them on the cross. He wants us, he wants you, he wants your neighbors and friends to know Christ as their Savior and their Lord. God wants more people. But it goes beyond that. Go back to that Isaiah passage. It says something really interesting in verse 20. Notice what it says. And they will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. On horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels. Now, have you ever thought about inviting a person to church so that you could have an offering to bring to the Lord? Oftentimes when we talk about our offering, we think about pulling our wallet out, right? Isaiah says, here's another way to make an offering. Here's another way to say thank you to God for all the things that he's done for you. Invite someone to church. Invite someone to to hear about me. But there's more to this passage than that. 
They're going to bring them as an offering to the Lord. And then notice what it says. How? How how are they going to do this? By whatever means possible. If it takes a horse, they're going to bring them on a horse. If it takes a chariot, they're going to bring them in a chariot or a wagon, on a mule, on a camel. These are people that are passionate about getting people to know Jesus. These are people who are passionate about spreading the influence of God, of Jesus Christ and his gospel message wider. And they're going to go out with whatever God has given them. And they're going to use those tools to bring people back to the temple. Back to church. So that those people can hear about the Savior, the Messiah. Take a look at what Paul says. Flip it back over to 1 Corinthians 9. Talk about passion. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Why? So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Why? So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ, that I may share in its blessings. Basically, he's saying, as I carry out the gospel to others and bring them in, I get to share in the blessings of the gospel once again. The more I talk about and give away the blessings of the gospel, the more it all comes back and I get to share in the blessings of the gospel. And through it all, what's Paul's attitude? What's going on in his heart? Passion. When I read this, when I read that Isaiah passage, a little phrase runs through my mind. Whatever it is takes. We're going to be world-class. We're going to get out to the nations. We're going to bring people into church, whatever it takes. Now, we gave you those face-to-face cards. Hopefully, that's a little way that we can help you with your whatever-it-takes attitude. God has given you a chariot that you ride in. Some of you do have horses. I know that too. It's Levine after all. Whatever it takes, God says to us. Whatever it takes, we say within ourselves because we are so passionate about sharing Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, mercy, and love with others. Whatever it takes so that by all possible means, we as a church might win some from the nations to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's what God wants. God wants more passion. Ironically, I got this email yesterday from Mary Dover. I don't know if Mary's in here right now. 
Here's what she wrote to me. She's our director of service ministry. She arranges things like rides. There's a, we have a, a ministry at Crosswalk called Rides Ministry. Apparently in Isaiah's day, they had a rides ministry too. It was a little different from our rides ministry. We use cars, they use mules and camels. But it was a rides ministry. The good news, she says, is there are some new people who want to worship with us. The challenge is that they need rides. Now, I'm not, I'm not lying to you. I got this email yesterday. We're looking for rides for three or four people from a group home at 75th Avenue in Lower Buckeye for first service, three people from 51st Avenue in Baseline for second service, two people from 32nd Street in Rozier. And by the way, we're also looking for a couch and a bed, she says. <laughs> Let me know if you can help. And I'm sitting there looking at this text that says, they bring them in in mules and camels and chariots and wagons. And I'm thinking to myself, look, there it is right there. There it is. There's an opportunity for us to do exactly what, what Isaiah was prophesying would happen 700 years before Christ. That's 2,700 years ago. He talked about us. And how we can bring people in on rides. By the way, I got a, an email from Mary. I don't normally check my email on Sunday morning, but I did this morning. And she said, there is a person who needs a ride to second service this morning. I don't know if anybody out there wants to go between services and bring somebody back for second service this morning. But find Mary if you do and tell her you'd do it. The point is, however we go about it, let's be passionate about sharing the gospel because God wants more passion. Here's the last thing. Take a look at what Jesus did, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. Again, world-class, right? All the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. And look at that. Not only did he preach, he looked for people's needs and hurts. What tension are people in? What, what trouble are they having? Are they in a transition? And he looked to help them and then connect them with the good news that he's the savior. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Isn't that ironic? So much need. So much sin and guilt and shame. And Jesus looks around at all these people and he says, wow, like sheep without a shepherd, they're harassed, they're helpless, and there's just not enough manpower. Now we know that Jesus, he sent his disciples out, didn't he? Into those villages by themselves and he trained and he equipped them to do the ministry Interestingly enough, from start to finish, Jesus' ministry lasted about three years. And then he said, sayonara. I'm not sure if he used Japanese, but he said goodbye. And he went back to heaven and he said, the job's now yours. All right? And, and he left it up to sinners 
like us. Because every one of those disciples was a sinner like you and me. Weak. Probably some of them at times, like I did recently, left people in the lurch, did not connect their actions to their words, did not connect their touch to their voice, but he still left the ministry in their hands, weak and sinful as they were. (laughs) And he said, okay, go get them, tigers. Go out there and share this message. And by the way, while you're sharing the message, pray. Pray that others will come and join you, come alongside of you to share this message. Let me read you something from this book by Wayne Cordero, Doing Church as a Team. Doing church as a team comes with a whole new way of looking at the dilemma of reaching people. Do you believe that God loves policemen? I do. Do you believe that he loves teachers? Me too. What about construction workers? Absolutely. In fact, as we've already seen, the Bible says, the Lord is not wishing for any to perish, but for all men to come to repentance. So if he truly does love all people and wants to reach them with the gospel, then what would be the very best way to do that? What would be the very best way to do that? Through a pastor? Possibly. But that might not be the most ideal People at your office or school may feel quite intimidated or even put off if a pastor were to walk into the lunchroom and begin preaching. We should try that sometime. You can invite me over and I'll just start preaching. We'll see what happens. What's the best way to reach teachers, he asks. It seems to me that the best way would be through another teacher. So what does God do? He takes full-time ministers and disguises them as teachers, meaning you. You're the full-time ministers. And he gives you a mask to wear. And your mask is called your job, is what he's saying. He disguises you as a teacher. Okay? He takes believers like you and me, and he gives us gifts and a passion to be the best teachers we can be. Then he sends us into the school system where we can reach other educators with God's love. What about reaching police officers? He takes full-time ministers and disguises them as police officers. He gives them all the necessary gifts, passions, and credentials, and he assigns them to police departments all over the nation. How does he reach construction workers? You get the idea, right? Oh, there you are, Mary. I see you now. Mary's right there, you guys. Did you find a ride for that person yet? You did. Okay, all dealt with. See? Are you ready to put on your disguise and go out and reach people? Let me share something to you from yesterday's 101 class. And if you've taken 101 class, you probably remember this. Let me bring it up a little bit closer. This is something we just taught yesterday. By the way, if you can't read the writing, Phil wrote this, not me. Just kidding, Phil. I don't think he's in here. He, he, he pointed out that this is kind of a traditional model for church. Here you have the staff, the pastors, and people like Phil and Jonathan and so, so on. And the members are down here. And, and he, write, he wrote, pay and pray, 
And, and then we could also say, by the way, listen to what we say, what we, the ministers, say. That's kind of the job of the members in many churches. You, you come to church, you listen to what we say on Sunday morning, and then you pay and you pray. And it goes up like that. And where does the ministry get done? By the people wearing the masks? The members? Nope. The members' idea is we pay and we pray for the staff and all the ministry gets done by them. Not Isaiah's way. Not Jesus' way. Remember, he sent his disciples out. Not the Apostle Paul's way. This is how their way looks. There's the staff down at the bottom. And as Phil beautifully wrote yesterday, the staff's work is to support, equip, train, and encourage the real ministers, the members, to do the work of serving in the church, the ministry of the church. You probably have guessed it already. This is the crosswalk model of doing church. It is the biblical model of doing church. Every member is a minister. Will you turn back to your Isaiah with me for a second? Look at what it says. Verse 21. God says something that would have been astounding, surprising, even shocking to the Jews through Isaiah. He says, guess what? When those people from the Gentiles, from the nations come in, I'm going to do something that is unheard of. Not only am I going to let them into the temple, I'm going to turn some of them into priests and Levites. (gasps) What? Because to the Jews, that would have been shocking. Remember, they didn't even like to eat with Gentiles, much less let them into their temple, much less let them be Levites and priests. But God says that's exactly what's going to happen. In the New Testament period, in the last days, people are going to come to my house and to my family, and I'm going to turn them into priests and Levites. They're all going to be my servants. They're all going to be my ministers and my workers. And Jesus modeled that. He called those disciples in, and there were tax collectors and fishermen and whatnot. And he said, now, you're all ministers. Go out and teach others what it means that I came to save people from their sins, what it means that I came to hang on that cross and die for them, what it means that three days later I rose from my grave alive. Notice what it says. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But the workers are not few if we are willing to raise our hand and say, I want to be a minister too. And why does Jesus want that? Because he wants more impact with the gospel. He wants more people to be saved. He wants more people to know their forgiveness. He wants more people in heaven. He wants more people healed. God wants more impact. So do you see why God is calling us to be a world-class church, to go to the nations? Do you see why God is saying, 
guys from Crosswalk, what you say is what you need to do. And, and when you don't do what you say, you need to do what I did this week. Look this person in the eye and say, you know what? I really messed up. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And it may be that some of us, other than me, also need to have that thought running through our minds. Certainly, I needed to have that thought running through my mind and and express it in words, not only to that young lady before me, but also to my God. And I pray that we'll have a church of people who are willing to change their minds, repent of their lack of passion, and say, hey, We want this. We want to be world-class. We want to make a huge impact. We want more people. And we're going to have more passion because that's what God calls us to. And we will connect our voice with our touch. Take a look at that last passage. This is not easy. It's going to take great faith from us. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. That's why we call this series Moving Mountains. Because none of this is easy. These last three messages have been challenging to me personally and probably to you too somewhat as we talked about higher and deeper and wider. But nothing is impossible when Christ is in the picture. And to illustrate that final point, I want to ask Tammy Neely to come out here. Tammy? And she's going to share a story that I think is just phenomenal, once again telling us how God reached out and brought her to Crosswalk because he wanted her from the nations to have this this uh, knowledge of Jesus. So, Tammy, just share a little bit of your story with us, and thank you for being here this morning. Um, So I grew up in Michigan, and as we're talking next week about the face-to-face series, um, I reconnected through Facebook uh, about two years ago with what was my best friend um, in elementary school, junior high and high school. You know, you go off to college. I moved across the country. We grew apart. um, Still connected every once in a while. Um, But growing up, Carrie battled cystic fibrosis, and I learned through Facebook that she was on a donor list looking for a double lung transplant. Now, Carrie had survived up to that point, was married, two beautiful boys, um, and once we started connecting through Facebook, I learned just how severe her story was. We began talking as frequently as possible through Facebook because she was in a hospital Um, had a breathing tube in and couldn't speak. So I couldn't speak to her over the phone. So we connected frequently through Facebook. Carrie's uh, health turned turned south, and they took her off the donor list because she wouldn't have been able to survive a transplant. Mm -hmm. Carrie passed away a week later. She was 33 years old, a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister, uh, and more importantly, uh, a child of God. Carrie was so grounded in her faith that at her funeral, the, uh, the program that everyone had, had Carrie's designs all over it. Carrie had prepared it in advance, the music that was to be played. She had even written some things down she wanted her sons to share with everybody. So Carrie was very prepared and, and ready to take her walk with the Lord. 
And I realized at that point that I wasn't. Uh, it, it terrified me, it scared me. I got back on a plane, flew out to Phoenix. I live across the street and saw the sign for a crosswalk and I'm here now every Sunday since August. And it was important to me to realize that I had connected with Carrie's story and I pray for her every day and thank God that she was such an important part of my life that it was important for me to bring my new best friend at this point in my life to share in my walk with Christ and hope that she was able to develop one as well. And her name's Erin, and I would point her out in the room, but today she started in the children's ministry, so she's in with the babies this morning. I can't even point her out to you, but um, it's, it's very important to me that those people that are close to me in my life and those that I will continue to meet, that I can share uh, crosswalk with them and hope that they find their way to Christ. Thanks, Tammy. What an awesome story. Thank you. So you see, it can be as simple as remembering. I'm a survivor. And the people that are in my life that I love, I want them to be survivors through Christ too and to become God's children. Take a look at your next steps, living the adventure. What I want to ask you to do is pause for a moment right now and ask yourself, am I a survivor? Sometimes we forget that we are survivors by the grace of Jesus Christ. Was I rescued too? Why was I rescued? For what reason did I survive? Then I want you to check out the next steps in your program. I pointed them out earlier in the service. Take a next step and help someone else become a survivor too. And remember as you go, we follow a God who moves mountains. You can trust him to be with you every step of the way. And then meditate on and memorize Isaiah 66, verse 20. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you've promised to us that you will move mountains in our lives personally and also in this community, that you have healing power, that you can help people with their hurts and their hang-ups, and that you can help us most of all with our sins. Lord, we have rebelled against you, and yet your grace and your faithful love are truly amazing. You sent your son Jesus for us. His death on the cross and his resurrection mean our forgiveness is certain and sure, and eternal life with you is a gift that we already hold through faith. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Bless everyone in this room and bless us to have the passion that Isaiah had, that the Apostle Paul had, that Tammy just shared with us to go out and share the gospel message with others and bring people into this church on a horse, in a wagon or chariot, on a mule or on a camel or in our Ford or Chevy. Bring people into this church and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.